Hi, welcome to Deep Americana. I am your host for season four. My name is Wes Unruh. And season four is Unrelated Thoughts on Being an Unruly Adoptee. This episode, I think, is okay, okay already. Uh, my name is Wes Unruh. I'm an adoptee. I was adopted in the state of Idaho in a private adoption. So, right now, marketing around 23andMe, Ancestry.com, and other DNA networking services is capitalizing on a cultural moment around adoptee reunification. The doc- documentaries, like perfect, Three Perfect Strangers, the 2018 thing, and network television programs such as This Is Us, um, have elevated the discourse around adoption. So living through reunification has profound implications for adoptee that are not easily reduced to, you know, advertising copy on a website, though. Thankfully, in our day and age, there are social spaces online where adoptees are free to vent their frustrations free from the input of non-adoptees, and there has been a growing conversation online since the first days of the internet. My introduction to bastards.org fully informed my political understanding of adoption law in the late 90s and early 2000s. Reading the the website back then changed my questions from why did this happen to me to why does this happen this way? The path, then, from reunification um, leads to self-transformation. So, once you've experienced unification as an adoptee, that adoptee has to unpack the invisible packages they have carried within themselves since their separation day. We are all uniques, even as a collective. We are all fragile, strong, conspicuous, and invisible in our own unique ways. Adoptees are a set of individuals defined by an act that was set in motion by others, invalidated by government agencies without our consent. And how we respond to our own situations is you know, wildly divergent, but in many ways, adoptees are driven consciously and unconsciously to undo their adoptions. (laughs) Bad adoptees are the ones most driven to disrupt the world as they came to know it, to find a space they belong. I really do like James Gunn. I like his movies. I like Guardian of the Galaxy Volume 2. I like watching this evil biological father trying to destroy the universes. (laughs) I think it's pretty funny Um, as an adoptee. I do find a lot of humor in it. I I find the whole franchise amusing. And I think that he's probably a a great guy. I I don't want to disparage Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 when I say that it is a problematic view of an adoptee undergoing uh, a search. That's not what it was meant to be, you know. I think it is certainly a much better film in that regard than Flirting with Disaster, which I do think was sort of negatively focused in terms of adoptee search. Personally, you know, um, 
Looking back on my life, my decision to move across the Midwest from Wichita to Denver in the last few weeks of 1996 were precisely because I wanted to go off the grid and slip away from any possible handlers that might be in my life. Like, I was paranoid. I felt as if I could slip out from their overview by leaving Kansas and moving somewhere where I wasn't really living on paper. Later, I kind of would again act on this anxiety when I arranged to move from Wichita to Troy, New York, a decade later. In both cases, my world in Wichita felt uncomfortable, my nest too tight. I'd outgrown the, the egg and sought to crack its shell. Collective worship in religious settings put me in a panic at that point. I felt the zeal in those around me suspect and performative. I became increasingly convinced that I was an experiment um, and that those around me, my adoptive parents, the therapist they chose for me, the psychiatrist they recommended, all were attempting to control my actions. Um, in a sense, it was a strictly provable theorem, and I ultimately recovered equilibrium after removing myself from the sphere of influence of my adoptive parents. Hmm. Each time I did this, my lot in life did significantly improve, and I'm certainly uh, sure now that those were the right decisions. Um, I felt drawn to the choices, like there were omens meant for my eyes that led me to make the narrowest of choices across a weirdly diasporatical route through all the regions of the United States. I have a deep appreciation for Americana, for the country, and the people I've met in every region. This greatest, the greatest untapped resource in this country is empathy. My fears and paranoia were founded on a perspective poured inward, focused on the primal wound that Nancy Verrier delineates, but recovering from being an adoptee isn't possible. It's a legal designation, and I can't undo it or ignore it. Uh, recovering means showing up, engaging, looking up, forced, relentless optimism in the face of the absurdity of life. I mean, now I'm no longer convinced I was under constant surveillance. I realized that much of what I felt was displaced rage, an unending scream, uh, buried beneath my silent infant mask I assumed at birth. As an adoptee, I felt, or I feel, I always had a lifelong infection, right? A buried, festering sore at the point where identity and the self in relation to the world index, or the nexus where I meet others. Bridging that chasm means having a vision of what is possible. The bridge must be precise, but the chasm is itself unchartable. Adoptees are all left, more or less, with this bridge to construct on their own from their side of the canyon. I guess I feel as if I achieved an impossible task, or bridged an impossible abyss. I had solved a riddle that had been at the back of my brain, occupying all of my subconscious processes for decades. And so now I've begun clearing out that space, using it to do more, to be more aware, more centered around my friends and family. Um, I don't feel rushed, or as if my time is misspent, that I could be doing more somehow to answer those questions. 
Uh, adoptees are never the good adoptee all the time. We are all afflicted with some residue from our past. I am no expert on what families are healthy and which are troubled. All I know is my own experience and the layers of pain I've navigated to understand what affected me most directly. More importantly, the roles I see played out in fiction that I'm tagging in these films I've mentioned are never the totality of one's life. I found great resonance in the stories of Luke Skywalker finding his ancestral narrative come to completion over the course of the various Star Wars films, and I found a great deal of empathy for the stories played out in The Truman Show, 1998, and Flirting with Disaster, 1996. I do not necessarily think I am caught in a horror film or even a drama. Life as an adoptee, particularly once I uncovered the central confusion around my identities, began to feel more like a farce. My fears were unfounded and my anxieties misplaced. I have trauma, yes, but no more or less than any other child growing up in the world at that time there. To be at peace with the life I led and instead mourn the relationships I might have had did have uh, perchance in some universe next door. That is where I land, that and a deep conviction that relentless optimism is the only flame strong enough to keep alive an unruly hope. Uh, so I left the house of Jerry and Karen the first time. Soon after I returned from visiting Idaho when I was 19, I felt adrift and aimless. I did not have a direction and was instead led and driven by my neuroses and my fears, led from opportunity and shielded by privilege in a world I felt was actively hostile. I lived in the cheapest apartment I could find within walking distance of the gas station where I worked third shift. I felt like I presented such a clearly destitute target walking around the middle of the night that no one would bother me uh, when I walked through the light industrial area alongside Highway 54 in summer of 93. It was a two-mile walk or more to work and back to my apartment, and I maintained the pace for several weeks before I encountered an ex-classmate who needed a place to live but had a car. I had a bed, and I split it in half, taking the box spring and giving him the mattress. Without him there, I knew it was a matter of time before I'd have had someone break into my studio apartment. Um, as it was, I was evicted, and he was picked up by a bondsman by the end of the summer, but at least we both somehow survived. What I do know is my survival is luck. That there are many people who see their family tree as a stump in the yard, right? Um, even worse, the current political climate means that all past bureaucratic determinations are prone to revisitations. Adoptees from overseas and across the north and south borders are facing deportation in some cases. Um, identity erased, these discrepancies aren't taken into account as cases for additional empathy by federal agencies, and instead, the tendency recently has been to assertively enforce deportation. I can't imagine the degree of mental stress an adoptee would feel being deported to a country they likely already have conflicting emotions about and then being banished from the country, the land where they'd been led to believe they were part of a family. Um, so the stories I've read about these bad adoptees, adoptees with so without standing in our country that they have been rejected by the federal government as even being worthy of citizenship, um, are often strangely uh, Kafka-esque, right? They read like absurdist fiction, struggling to integrate into a country they were taken from. 
So Philip Clay is only one of many suicides as a result of these policies and practices. Um, my politics are shaped by these attitudes about identity and identity trauma, particularly when identity is wielded as a weaponizing force. Um, throughout my life, I've heard that the greatest sin of the liberals was that they played identity politics, a statement that I heard throughout my teens. I didn't understand that this was a reference to civil rights. It was played identity politics as a, just sort of an inherent evil of its own accord, right? Uh, my extended family was avid listeners of Rush Limbaugh, which is sort of bizarre considering that the other half of my extended Unruh family was routed through the civil rights legislature political families from the Texas and California. Anyway, you know, the only periodical that my adoptive father received was the Conservative Chronicle, which was a weekly compendium of articles penned by a deep roster of conservative columnists and editorial cartoonists. That my adoptive father would use this phrase, identity politics, whenever he talked about politicians isn't that surprising. But the frequency by which I recall it being brought up led me to think about identity politics in a way that related to my own sense of identity. I started to see that expressing an identity could be a political act. I believe identity is the essence of representation, for example. I struggle to articulate my identity as an adoptee because my experience is nothing, and I speak from nowhere. Or I did. All adoptees who are searching without answers are de facto voices from the void. I spoke from that place years ago. I sent my howls moonward, seeking others of my ilk, right, to be of nothing, from nothing, named nothing, and then overlaid. This is all dramatic fiction, but it is also how I played my identity politics out. I am a ghost, a mask, a thorn, in amidst the blessing that is the adopted child. I and all those other bad adoptees are the voice accomplice within a shadow cast by myth. I've always felt that I exist somewhere between Moses and Oedipus Rex, and it didn't end well for either of them. There are new myths for today. I was raised in a world that has since passed, and my experiences and those of my generation will likewise pass on. New myths are arising, hopefully. There will be adoptees writing their experiences rather than merely being the objects of other writers. Instead, adoptees will be the subjects of their own narrations. I see promise for today's adoptees in the indestructible girls, the adoptees in the ring in 2002, and heroes who couldn't be stopped, the fierce adoptees that find each other in an orphan black, all women who somehow become tolerant of incredible amounts of emotional and physical pain. There is even a farcical funhouse mirror of an example of this indestructible female adoptee in the television series Small Wonder. In today's mythic cycles, the women take on abuse and torment while the men, the adoptee males, Luke in Star Wars, Daniel, David in Daniel in Legion, Moses in the Ten Commandments, and Siler in Heroes, who gain world-altering psychic powers from the cracks in their often late discovery existence, like Scanners, 1981. 
I feel like this world altering so beautifully dramatized in film and television is an internal process of fantasy and world building that I and many other adoptees perform. As I was researching myself, I'd begun fictionalizing an alternate world where I remained with my birth mother. This fantasy was driven in part by dreams where I had different grandparents, where I played in a large Victorian house with two stories, where I was introduced as Elliot, and there were different cartoons on the television to those I knew in my normal life. By trying to draw this dream into fiction, I think my hope was to activate a connection between her and I, my birth mother, through writing and visualizing this other possible life create a resonance and a psychic resonance that I could use to find her in this reality. Uh, I had read accounts of other searchers and felt like this sense of resonance of trying to find rituals that could activate latent connections could, if not actually work through occult principles, at least align my thinking so I'd be sensitive to any clues or memories that might lead to some new insight. Uh, adoptees are on difficult life paths, particularly if they're determined to search despite the odds. So while I don't understand why the kept might want to become psychic, I do know why most adoptees would want to be. Um, with the advent of the DNA services, those odds are much different than they had once been, but even so, these services have many, many holes. So I recommend you, if you're an adoptee, spend some time reading reading accounts of other adoptees, like Betty Jean Lifton's books, but maybe read stuff like Psychic Witch by Matt Oren. Give yourself rituals to process your life and your path through the lives of others. Find methods that work. Forget about whether something's true or false. Tread lightly in the lives of those you encounter along the way, though. I believe now that all adoptees are set on difficult paths. They're all occult objects. We're all occultists, secret society members of our own private conspiracies. Um, I believe now that being able and willing to meet the weirdness, right, the weird, head on, is essential for finding a balance in life. Adoptees are not crazy. They are wounded. Uh, time of trauma. And trauma is a wound. And that wound transcends the time of the trauma. And it can be worsened or compounded or it can be lessened and treated consciously. And so acknowledging that adoptees come traumatized to a greater or lesser extent. And that helping the child, the adoptee, deal with the trauma of separation consciously could prevent them from having to seek out, you know, occult ways of healing. I use magic to defend myself and those I love from the fickle gods we mortals must suffer. And my favorite book on magic was written by Daniel Lawrence O'Keefe. It's titled Stolen Lightning, The Social Theory of Magic. This is not the kind of book on magic you might expect that it would be. In this book, there is this passage on page 448 where he writes, Whenever individualism attempts to expand or is forced to contract, cognitive dissonance and moral pressure are felt by the self. It usually responds with magic. Sometimes it merely defends itself with magic. Sometimes it tries to puff itself up with magic, going against the trend of institutions. 
But magic is an extreme recourse and a primal regression in our times, for the self that was created in magic has long since secured by more reliable institutions. Any serious recourse to magic, defense of the self now, especially, quote, black magic, is evidence of severe regression, indicating extreme pressure, indicating perhaps that the institutional walls have been breached. So, you know, my methods and results are secondary. What is central is that as I learned more and more about my adoption, I become less and less anchored to the family that raised me, the religion that I grew up within, and the desire to be a part of the rigid patriarchal framework that prescribes such violence on women like my birth mother. Magic is an institutional framework already suspect, already cast aside by modern society as was my own prime or initial identity, and in the slippery space of superstitious ritual, I am able to reformulate my identity outside of the institutions I am reluctant to approach. Um, however, I find it fascinating that I, who have a deep-seated mistrust of social institutions, would revert to what O'Keefe describes as a primal regression in seeking to defend what self I managed to define on my own terms, using magic. Educational, religious, and social institutions are not only uninviting, they are threatening. In a country that claims to look into all paperwork irregularities for people to deport, something that is happening, or was happening as I wrote the script, um, being an adoptee means that there is a sense that at any moment a shadow from one's past could cast you into a country you know nothing about, or you may not even speak the local language. I do doubt this would happen to me, as I've learned enough specifics to know that I was born in the country, but even the slightest error can cause government officials to question one's citizenship. My adoptive sister has encountered this with her records, and there are numerous examples of international adoptions turning into nightmares for adoptees who have been deported, some killing themselves when they find themselves in the country of their birth without any resources. You know, we talk about magic and religion, but institutional forces are like angry gods, too. And they may take years to right a legal wrong, if they ever do. It is best to leave government the hell alone and find alternate paths to make sense of the world and my place within it. Magic is the ultimate promise of routing around religion, education, science, and governmental bureaucracy. Uh, magic, if it worked as I wanted it to work as a young child, could answer my questions, right? Find my family, open doors to experiences and situations that would otherwise be unobtainable for a kid in rural Ohio, rural Idaho, wherever I see fit to practice it, rural Kansas or rural New York, or even rural Georgia. Yet my religion, as it is, is an animistic view that incorporates God forms as expressions of a cultural pocket's ideological frame for a collective spiritualism. So, you know, I mean, this is certainly a long way from the monotheism of my youth. Uh, I'm not angry at God, although I've been accused of this by my adoptive parents, their therapists, and even the 
psychiatrist at the hospital in Texas, but my interest in magic does not reduce or remove the influence of the divine in my life, nor am I particularly beholden to a specific form of faith. I'm fond of many masks of the divine and find a lot of aesthetic beauty in a number of you know, ritualistic practices. I'm not ultimately angry with my adoptive parents for the decisions. I was a fairy tale happenstance, and they did not seem interested in pushing too deep into my past, lest I turn to leaves. My frustrations are with the states and the larger adoption industry as it stretches out across the world. Like any global billion-dollar industry, adoption is a web of secret knots that connects between the lines out of public knowledge or awareness. I've seen figures that the adoption agency industry is 95% Christian, either Catholic or evangelical. Although I would assume there is a large internal adoption process for Mormons and other non-evangelical denominations. Uh, many Christians see the renaming and identity washing aspects of closed adoptions as a borderline holy sacrament. Uh, adoptees are traumatized as an initiating into a new, jumpy, sketchy, jittery, paranoid life, treated as if they were placed within federal witness protection, their birth certificates altered and the originals obscured by direction of the state itself, and adoptees opt out of their lives at a rate four times greater than the rest of the population. Um, anyway, going back to the book Stolen Lightning, on page 277 he says, or writes, Magic steals sacred symbolism and authority from religion and society. Magic expropriates, uh, oh, I'm too tired, doing this for too long. Magic expropriates religious power and uses it against religion in order to defend the self against religion, against society, against the superego, which at all times threatened to implode the self and snuff it out. So that's the passage I wanted to get to. Within my worldview, my practices and beliefs act as a form of therapy, uh, shoring up the borders of my central identity against the factors that have been eroding my sense of self. From society and religious upbringing that sought to impose a new identity upon me from the very moment I was born, before I could have ever had had an original identity against which to cling, um, in pursuing an aesthetic sense of the obscured, as a defense against the obscuring of myself, I found a way to navigate a social and cultural space at best ignorant and at worst actively hostile to my political conviction that it should be illegal to erase someone's identity and change their name without their informed consent. Um, adult adoptees are often crowded out of discussion, and as an adoptee, I am always outside looking in. So the last few years have broadened my awareness to the actual scope of the adoptee problem. There are several million adoptees, all dealing with different manifestations of these impositions of will. Uh, many of these lonely battles are being fought by adoptees, unequipped to recognize why they fight or even that they are fighting. Others bubble up into public view due to the sheer oddities or obvious abuses that frame their narratives. Like cases like the young child, um, Angela Bacara, adopted on May 23rd, 2014 by U.S. citizens, but threatened with deportation at the age of four years old because our entire social institution is riddled with oversight for adoptees and the cruelest of all possible regimes is currently overseeing ICE, the time I wrote this, at the time this happened. 
In my opinion, an opinion which I had thought most of the country shared, which I find is sadly not universal, uh, taking infants away from mothers is wrong. What happened to my birth mother was wrong. Society is nothing if it cannot keep mothers with their babies. Very little else casts doubt on this core belief that then overshadows my entire lived experience, like a filter across memory. I said adoptees are four times more likely to commit suicide, but even more troubling, their life expectancies are 10 years less than the rest of the population. Invisible and visible stressors, often from the womb onward, undercut the normal health and bonding that help sustain life amidst the elderly, all practices that embrace and improve energetic flows, improve an adoptee's chance at a more survivable life. It does not help that the myths and stereotypes that render adoptees in popular culture are themselves so problematic. Understanding oneself as an adoptee against the cultural projections of adoptees complicates deeply the experience of being adopted, of being named adoptee by those around you. Adoptee is not a label one selects for oneself, but it is a branding, a kenning, performed in a ritualized way, um, a knowing, a naming. Civ civic ritual magic began the path of the adoptee, and learning to counter and improvise against this magic is necessary for any adoptee's individuation. I think this is where I get to when I say adoptees or occultists, or that being an adoptee means that you're an occult object. You know, I I discovered Bastard Nation in 1999 or so, just prior to the cultural moment that was Y2K. Hmm. Their website helped widen my field of vision. I came to understand my experience as being part of a continuum. A generational trauma perpetuated upon several generations of women birth mothers who had been lied to and manipulated at the behest of a patriarchal religious and civic framework. Adoptees are part of an abusive social apparatus, and my experience was normative within this framework. Within this frame, just the understanding that others were in similar positions of bureaucratic inequality around the country was a relief. I was not alone. Even if my biological family was lost to me, and my adoptive parents were unable or unwilling to relate to me, there was a world of others who knew at least the general struggles, if not the absurd particulars, that I, as an adoptee, had experienced and needed guidance and understanding, navigating. Uh, since then, Bastard Nation has helped cause actual legislative action focused on true equality, true equal access for all, to their foundational identification, um, an approach that is simple, easy to explain, and uncompromising. So I am not evil, but I am a bastard. I seek to own that, as it cannot be a source of shame. It must be a badge. There are a lot of people just like me, as uh, DMC sings, right? The identification paperwork is a symbol of a struggle that does not end when you get the information. Uh, more importantly, don't conflate finding your original birth certificate, finding your biological relatives, with finding a place in the world. I didn't find a place for myself when I found my biological relatives. What happened was I was able to put some of my mind to rest. I freed up space in my head to deal with other parts of my life. So I mean by that, that I became more integrated, more efficient. And I, as I made sense of my origins, I became better at living. I thrived. 
I gained courage and presence. My identity flowered. Um, I've always attracted creative lovers um, who explored artistic ventures that related to my identity quests and theirs. Um, I've always attracted people that I work creatively with is joint ventures, if you will. Years ago, I co-authored a book, The Art of Memetics. As a way of empowering the community online, I felt I was a part of. Uh, a community articulating its collective identity through relationships and belonging affinity networks that were forged out of conversational online threads. Uh, the sense of group minds, projective identity, and communal belonging is beautifully illustrated in the Netflix program Sense8, even down to the strange psychic interlinking, the uh, transference, the synchronicities that occur around those who come from the internet, if you will. Like... Dr. Sleepless, the comic written by Warren Ellis. These secret knots, these strange societies that have come together over the last 20 years that I've been a part of and those that I haven't, all of these represent an evolution, a response to the rigid traditional approach to life, reproduction, and community. So maybe rather than destroy the life of the mother and hiding the child, Communities of faith need to support mothers and make it possible for the child to be welcomed and cared for by supporting the mother. Would I have spent so much of my childhood studying magic, trying to figure out occult ways of knowing, if I had been raised with my biological mother in a Christian home? Probably not. Permanent legal guardianship, um, which is opposite the identity erasure of adoption should be championed as being in the best interest of the child because maintaining the integrity of identity that is essential to ego formation and individuation later in life um, is how you prevent that identity trauma i think taking a child away from a mother determined to raise that child uh, to nurse it is a crime against humanity i think technically um, that this crime is done by religious men through laws enacted for that purpose does in no way lessen that crime, nor does it undo the trauma of the crime. These are lifelong wounds for child and mother, and in some cases the father as well. I have left many pieces of writing in the public sphere as a way of exercising these thoughts about being adopted, or at least finding a way to digest this experience. In the book of poetry I wrote while waiting for my son's birth, I included a poem titled Outcry This Dark Story, where I coded my emotional growth as follows. My eyes are April, thankless taxing perception at times, but now I laugh more often, grit cleanly, true tight, and although perhaps as if too cleanly, you are a destroyer, you are a destroyer of worlds. That was from the end of the word as we know it a piece of poetry I wrote long ago. This belief, not even belief, a leaf, this sense that I, as an adoptee, have world-ending power, it's something I feel in my body, not something I know. It is atavistic. It is a conviction that precedes my presence. I learned of this power in the womb. Becoming more integrated does not erase the threat of this power. It makes it more accessible. The recovery's tool chest includes world-ending transformation, cataclysmic catalysts, 
The adoptee is potential energy as yet unleashed. The recovery is the potential energy in kinetic motion, right? Uh, no adoptee can know for certain what worlds they can destroy, but all of them are paradigm shifting in the right context. To those of you listening to me that are adoptees, remember this. Becoming healthy means recognizing your potential to be a disruption. In many cases, it may be necessary to unlock that potential, to be the bearer, the teller of your story, to create the change you need to survive, to thrive in your life. There are no reparations possible from my experiences. Um, there are many other stories where there can be no rectification. I read of a 79-year-old adoptee who had found their 100-year-old birth mother. There is no true justice to be had for that separation. So please stop doing this to more children. Sealed adoptions are actively causing harm, so stop. Stop traumatizing mothers and infants under the rubric of protecting identity. Stop encouraging an underregulated Christian indoctrination industry. These are horrifying practices. If you would only look at the longitudinal data, uh, adoptees suffer at much greater rates and die at much younger than the rest of the population. And we are all struggling to thrive. And the reason is the system of secrecy through which we are stigmatized and devalued. Ah. <sighs> I need to stop for now, regain my composure before I continue my episodes, but for now, my name is Jeffrey Wesunru. I was adopted in 1974, April 15th, uh, the day I was born. I was born just after one, just before 1 p.m. and adopted just before sundown that day. And I've been putting the puzzle pieces together ever since. So I appreciate you listening to this joining me on this narrative. Until next time.